Welcome to the Free Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Miles. The Free Lawyer Podcast is designed for the lawyer, entrepreneur, or professional who is in some way unfulfilled, stressed, or stuck, and is looking for something better. We will discuss various blocks that limit us from achieving the personal freedom that we all desire, but have not yet fully experienced. And we will give actionable steps to free yourself from them. Are you looking to achieve a new level of success? If so, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the next episode of The Free Lawyer. And I'm so happy to have with us today Talar Herculean Corsi. She's a lawyer, a life coach, an author, really just well-rounded, a LinkedIn influencer. I know you're on LinkedIn a lot. And let's begin by this. You're a published author. Tell me about your books. Um, the first book is Hashtag Networked, and it's a book that I wrote with 19 other women lawyers that I met online on LinkedIn during the pandemic. And uh, we had this private group message on LinkedIn. And one day somebody said, we should write a book about our story. We're just, there were 50 of us in this private group chat, all women lawyers from around the country. Um, And one day somebody said, we should write a book about our story about how we came together and supported one another during the pandemic. And the next thing you know, um, someone else, I think it was Natalie Gold uh, on LinkedIn, who said, let's do it. I'm going to make this happen. And mark my words, you ladies are going to become number one best-selling authors. And we, we surveyed everybody to see who was interested in participating and ended up with 20 of us. And so we included our stories in um, the book, hashtag networked available on Amazon. All profits are being donated to uh, women's charities. We decide every year which one we're going to donate it to. And um, it's just a collection of really inspiring stories of what you can get out of the power of connection. Um, So I highly recommend it, especially for any lawyers that aren't sure about how to network. I I feel like um, it's such a loaded term. It's almost like a bad word to use because it sounds so fake and forced and manipulative. Yes, yes. But when you read our stories, if, if you take that all the thoughts about that word aside, you realize it's really just about building relationships and and helping one another. Um, And it can be done without it seeming dirty or um, uncomfortable. There are different ways. It sure can. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And then the, so after, after publishing networked, um, I actually published my first children's book. It's called Ralphie's Rules for Living the Good Life. And it was inspired by the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. If you've I'm read a big that. fan of the Four Agreements. Okay. Well, Ralphie's Rules are down to three because we combined uh, don't make assumptions and don't make, make take things personally 
in, into one topic. And um, the star of the book, Ralphie, is my furry client. He's a Ruby Cavalier King Charles. And uh, I did not give him legal advice. I was a dog walker. And the reason I became a dog walker was because during the pandemic, I was longing for physical connection. And as you know, Absolutely. it's hard to do that when you're supposed to stay six feet apart. Yes, there's, only, there's only so much I could smother my husband, so much I could smother my kids. I wanted a dog. My family was not yet ready for that. And so I decided to go on the app rover.com and put up a profile saying, I would like to play with your dog. <laughs> the next thing I knew, um, this young woman who's now become a dear friend, Morgan Wolf, sent me a message. Uh, she was a news reporter here in Salt Lake City. She had just gotten assigned here and was looking for a dog walker for her dog, Ralphie. Ralphie was my only client. And I like to joke, and that's because he made me sign a non-compete. <laughs> he was, he was very, a star of a book. Pardon me? And he's now the star of a book. He is now the star of a book. I will show you. I like to have lots of copies around. I don't know if you can see that. There he is. Very good. Um, and the re So that's the inspiration, the basic story. Uh, but the main reason I wanted to write it wasn't because I had aspirations of being a children's book author. It's because I was looking for ways to raise money um, for the Society for Orphaned Army and Relief. I started fundraising for them after my father died in Lebanon in 2006. And while the organization supports orphanages in Syria, Lebanon, and Armenia, uh, most of my efforts, I fund projects in Syria and Lebanon. And um, I believe, I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021, there was an explosion in Beirut. And while the orphanage I support their bird's nest wasn't directly harmed, thankfully, they were able to get the children out of there. Um, they were unable to take them back to that facility. And so they needed even more support. And I was trying to find ways of raising money for them. And uh, so I'm donating all the profits from the children's book to Bird's Nest and also another orphanage in Anjar, Lebanon, uh, where my dad is buried, Armenian Evangelical Boarding School. What, so a, what a wonderful, wonderful service. I really admire your passion for that. It's I appreciate you saying that, um, but I have to confess it's selfishly motivated. Um, there is nothing I believe that can make you feel better than helping others. It's very fulfilling. Um, and especially for someone like me, I, um, I suffer from depression and anxiety and like many lawyers, you know, and um, I've been able to successfully manage it with medication and yoga and journaling and therapy and all these other modalities. But I have to tell you what has helped me so much 
is being able to focus efforts on helping other people, helping children. I get it, that. You know, it takes away from poor me and, and I'm sad and I don't know what to do. It, it takes the focus to the other and focus on what, what can I do for you? That's so, that's so true. And you may know, I know a lot of my listeners know I'm sober in recovery. And for me, when I'm getting a selfish place where I call stinky thinking, <laughs> Talara hasn't done for me what I expected to, or she didn't respond to me the way I thought she was supposed to. And what the heck's wrong with her? When I get in that mindset, it's unbelievable how often someone will call me and say, can you listen to me? I have a problem. Can you help me? And when I finish that call, I'm not upset about anything anymore. I feel grateful. I feel fulfilled. And so I can kind of relate to it because it's an instrumental part of my recovery to be of service to others. That's wonderful. I'm actually um, familiar with the recovery world um, myself as a recovering codependent and um, very familiar with that. And one of the things that I've taken away, well, there's a couple of them. I have the serenity prayer right in front of me right now um, that I remind myself of regularly. And for anyone who's not familiar with it, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and importantly, the wisdom to know the difference. It's a great tool for living. And my trouble was I would always try to change the things I couldn't change and and not accept the things I was supposed to, I'd accept the things I was supposed to be working on. I got it all backwards. And I'd usually try to change you and not worry about me, you know? So it really is a great tool for a living. Tell me about your third book. The third book is Women in Law, uh, which was published, I think, May of this year. And this is a, a book, again, an anthology of stories where I wrote um, my chapter with 22 other successful women lawyers. And the reason that it came into existence is Angela Hahn, who is also a life coach. She spearheaded this effort in response to a New York Times article that had come out criticizing the success or lack thereof of women lawyers mm. and specifically um, admonishing women for choosing children over their careers and discussing the mommy penalty. Um, not all of us are mothers in, in the book, the anthology. Many of us are, and we represent the different colors of success and um, encouraging the reader to find their own meaning and accepting that that definition can change and it there isn't a one size fits all and the importance of having a community to support your success. Uh, the, the proceeds from women in law are also being donated to a charity to Ms. JD, um, which is an organization that supports um, women lawyers. And next week, actually, I'll be going to Sonoma for their annual retreat, the ladder up retreat, where um, 50 general counsels from all over the country are paired up with 100 um, newer women associates so that we can provide them with advice and guidance and mentoring. That's great. That's really great. 
And I, I think you're right. We all have our own path and, and we get, sometimes we can get a place and we're not happy with what we're doing. And, and we don't know why, but there's probably another thing we're supposed to be doing, or that might be more consistent with our goals and our, our needs. And uh, that book sounds really wonderful. Tell me a little bit about your journey in law, um, you know, where you've been, where you are and what you're doing now. Okay. Um, I started my legal career when I was 18 years old as a file clerk at Fisher and Phillips in Irvine, California. Uh, I decided I was going to become an employment side, a management side employment lawyer before I knew what my major was going to be. Um, I hadn't thought about being a lawyer before I picked up this file clerk job. And the reason I ended up there is because uh, my father asked me right after I graduated from high school, what, what am I going to do with my life? What's my major? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, you're going to have to figure that out. So my strategy was going to career services at UC Irvine, where I, I attended and back then we didn't have the computers and social media. So we had bulletin boards where there were pinned postings of different jobs available. And I decided I was going to apply to entry-level jobs in as many fields as I could find, experiment here and there and figure out what I liked. I'm not sure how it happened that law or legal ended up at the beginning of my list. Maybe it's because of how the uh, bulletin boards were positioned, I'm not sure. But my first interview from that long list of jobs I had compile compiled was at Fisher and Phillips in Irvine. I interviewed with Jim McDonald, the managing partner and Socorro De Luna, the office manager. Uh, and a few hours later, they offered me a job and I accepted it. And I never left. <laughs> How about that? 18 years old, you started in the, in the legal profession. And I was kind of similar. I started right after college, uh, but a, a little later, you know, clerking before I went to law school. So where did you go from there? After that experience, did you then decide to go to law school, obviously? And I, I did. Uh, at Fisher and Phillips, I stayed all four years during college. Um, they worked around my college schedule. It was just down the street. So it worked out well. And I decided I was going to go to law school, decided to attend uh, UC Hastings in San Francisco. And before I'd even graduated college, my managing partner, mentor, uh, had Jim McDonald offered me a job to come back for the summer. So I already had my summer job lined up too. About that? Yeah, it was pretty exciting. So I came back, I summered there. Uh, it was a struggle though. It was, it was like moving back home to live with your parents as an adult and they're still treating you like you're a teenager. Um, and so it, it was a little clunky. And um, after I left that summer, I thought I, I have to go somewhere else to be a grown up lawyer. I'm not gonna be taken seriously. Um, so I ended up summering my second, Second summer at Jory Peterson, Watkins and Smith, another management side employment defense firm. This one was in Fresno, California. And if you've ever been there, it gets very hot. I drove home every weekend down to Southern California. So it was obvious I wasn't staying there. 
So after, um, so my third year, I went through OCI. I did everything that you're supposed to do and I didn't get any job offers. So the strategy that I took was uh, I went again to career services at, at Hastings at my law school, wrote down a list of all the management side employment lawyers in Southern California and sent them letters in pa with paper and everything. And my letter didn't say, can you hire me? It was, I want to do what you're doing. Would you mind sparing some time to give me advice or make any introductions that you think would be helpful? I sent probably about 50 of those letters, um, received some really great responses. People really do like helping. It's a lot easier yes, now. They do. You, you could just post it on LinkedIn. You don't need to spend money on postage and everything. Um, that didn't work. That did not pan out into a job though. And so I went back to my mentor, Jim McDonald, and I said, I need a job. Can you help me? Um, and so he introduced me to a small insurance defense firm in Tustin, California, that they often would uh, hire as co-defense counsel when there was going to be a conflict between defendants. Yes. And I met with the head of the employment uh, practice there, which was comprised of just two attorneys. And while they didn't have an opening, um, she really wanted to hire me and convinced the managing partner of the firm, who happened to be her husband, to make room in the budget for me. And now it's not like they had to make a lot of room. My starting salary as a lawyer, I think, was under $50,000. But nevertheless, that's where I started. I had phenomenal experience in those first two years. And Good one trial, of the trial experience, I suspect. You know, not quite trial, but I was, I don't know, three, four months out of law school or barred. I second chaired my first binding arbitration. Very nice. Yeah. How long did you stay there? And, and just tell me briefly how you got to where you are today. After you after start with that litigation firm, I uh, was there for two years, and during that time, my parents lost their lease on a restaurant they had. My brother and I were there for a one k plan. If you know what that means, um, I couldn't afford to support them making <laughs> what I was there, so I started looking around for other opportunities. Went back, called up my mentor again, Jim McDonald and said, I need to make more money. Can you help me again? And this time he asked me if I would consider returning to Fisher and Phillips. Um, and after some conversation, I, I agreed that, you know, that that's something that I would uh, consider Good. interviewed in Atlanta on my birthday in 2001. And I started back there at Fisher and Phillips as an associate in November um, made partner after five more years there. And after making partner, actually, it was right before it was the same year. Um, my father died in Lebanon in August of 2006. And about that time, I, I started really suffering um, emotionally, mentally, started seeing a therapist. And the therapist said to me she said don't you fight for a living I said I'm a litigator I guess you could say that she said you don't strike me as a confrontational person 
I said, you know what? I'm not. (laughs) And so that was a light bulb moment for me. And between that conversation and when I went in-house to the position that I'm in now as general counsel, uh, took four years. I was very careful about what I did and didn't want to do. I call it my courtship with my now employer, took that long. And during that time, I actually got engaged to move to Salt Lake City. And my employer is in Southern California. So I figured they this was no longer an option, um, but they still wanted me and they said, well, let's make it work. And it's been almost 12 years now. Wow. Worked out great. And I actually now have ownership in the dealerships. Um, so that's also so your general uh, counsel to what kind of business? Uh, a Ford Lincoln dealership in Southern California. It's Vista Ford Lincoln on Ventura Boulevard. Very nice. Very nice. How do you like being a general counsel? I love it. And, um, but not all general counsel positions obviously are going to be the same. Mine is very unique, not just because I'm a legal department of one person. It's just me. I have a very special working relationship with my two bosses who are brother and sister. Um, I really consider them my best friends and my job is to talk to them every day and help them solve problems. So it's, it's just a really wonderful position that I have. And I'm very grateful. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What are, what do you find most fulfilling in what you do now as general counsel to the dealership? Solving really difficult problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know I can tell from your post, you have a lot of connections with other lawyers. Uh, you were, you co-authored books with a group of other lawyers. What are some of the biggest challenges and stresses that you think um, other lawyers face in today's legal profession? I think it's the substance abuse and mental health challenges um, because I think in our profession, especially when you're in litigation, you're expected to be strong and fierce. And I think there is a uh, tension with lawyers being vulnerable, showing um, any kind of humanity, really. I, I think that's changing and I am happy to join those voices of change to make the legal profession a more human-friendly <laughs> profession for everybody out there. But, but I see those as the challenges personally. And, and that is a huge one. I've been sober for a little bit over 30 years and I know I've seen a real change personally in how people look at that. You know, in the beginning, I didn't want anyone to know I was an alcoholic in recovery because it begins by saying you're an alcoholic. But now I think folks really honor the importance of recovery. And and I have a passion for wellness in the legal profession. I've done a lot of research and written a couple of newsletters about it, but it's astonishing some of the studies that are out about our profession. The ABA had one where the stat that I just find incredible that 11.4% of the lawyers who answered this ABA um, study said they had suicidal thoughts in the previous year. And 
if I had had suicidal thoughts in the previous year and the ABA asked me if I had, I'm quite certain I would say no. <laughs> I mean, that's not something I'd be so vulnerable as to disclose. So, and and to me that number, I mean, having suicidal thoughts is pretty dramatic and 11.4% is a pretty significant number. And what's the real number of people who chose not to answer that question or didn't answer it fully honestly for reasons of fear of being found out or whatever. And that's very troubling. And it really is a lot of, a lot of stress and so many firms aren't really connected to the importance of, of wellness. I had Jeff Cunningham on as a guest on this podcast a couple of months ago, and he, he counsels law firms on how to avoid risk. And when I asked him what the primary risk factor is for law firms, he said attorney wellness. It's yeah. substance abuse. It's being burned out. It's being sloppy because you're too tired. You don't care. You're frustrated. And really wellness for lawyers is the most important thing to protect the law firm as well as the clients. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, you know, beyond it's the right thing to do. But yeah, definitely makes sense how um, it, it's going to create liability and risk for the law firm as well. And have you seen sort of stress and burnout as issues for lawyers and uh, that you've had connection with too? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a very common theme. It's, and it, you know, it, it isn't everywhere necessarily. I think a lot of it has to do with the environment that lawyers are in, um, which is one of the things I enjoy finding out about when I'm on LinkedIn is, is the different types of legal practices that are available. I apologize for my colleague. <laughs> yeah, what I found is there are so many lanes of what we can do as lawyers. There's so many things. And sometimes we're not in the right seat on the bus. We're supposed to be somewhere else that would be more suitable for what our goals are. And, and our goal is going to involve money and time and freedom and job fulfillments, that whole bunch of factors might go into, it, but often we're not sitting in the right place. We need to find what that right place is. You love working where you do. You work with two people you you love and admire and, and you're fulfilled because every day you're helping them be more successful by finding solutions to problems that they're scratching their heads about and don't know the answer. And you love helping them find solutions. It's so gratifying and fulfilling. And, and you enjoy practicing law and you're good at it, but that piece was really missing, that real connection that you have now. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I when I was at Fisher and Phillips, I'd say roughly half of my practice was doing what I'm doing now, but with a lot of different clients. And I really enjoyed working with, I'd say, 95% of my clients. I continue to stay in touch with them and still have nice. relationships yeah. with them because I, uh, I have a hard time not caring about the person, you know? And, and so those relationships have survived even long after they're no longer a business relationship, really. That's wonderful. Now, I know you've um, started getting certified as a life coach and you're, you're doing coaching now and, and, what kind, who, who's your ideal client for what you do in coaching? You know, it's, it's funny you should ask that, Gary, because I've been wondering the same thing myself. And I have learned that I can't be everything to everyone, that I do need to find a niche. And in trying to find my niche, 
my ideal client really are just nice people who like dogs and coffee. I I could be an ideal client of yours then. The wonderful. Uh, But I, I don't know if that's going to fly. I mean, I might give it a go. So for the time being, you know, instead of looking for perfect Um, I'm working with good enough just to get some traction. So I think for the time being, my target audience and client are going to be law students and lawyers. You know, I, I speak their lawyer language. I know the life they, I can certainly relate. Um, But they, they do have to love dogs. If they don't love dogs, then I, I think that's a deal breaker. Yeah, I have, I have two English Goldens now, and, and we have an Italian Greyhound that is my daughter's that she wants me to um, train and raise for a couple months until she has her own place. She, I guess, sees me as a dog whisperer, and it's a nice thing, except it's hard to schedule things such as a podcast interview because it might not be Igloo's time to be in the crate, you know? But right. dogs are really, dogs are just unconditionally loving. What are, are the most important things you've learned from your coaching training or, or maybe I'll say it another way. What for the lawyer who's listening to this today, who's in his office or her office, frustrated, burned out, stressed, wondering why did I ever choose to be a lawyer? What would be some thoughts you have to share with that person? That you have a lot more choices and power in your position now, or if you choose to leave that position, then you might believe. Um, that there are a lot of options available. You are not a victim of your circumstances and there are ways to live a better life, either again, in the position that you're in or trying to find something something different. And on that note, when I first left that therapist's office, I thought I, I was no longer going to practice law. I thought, you know, I had a good run. I was good, good at it. I enjoyed it for a while, but now it's time for me to hang it up. I actually interviewed for a software sales position um, with a vendor that I'd been working with and went through a lot of self-exploration and ultimately came to this decision that it wasn't all parts of the legal practice that I didn't like, or that I felt like I had to give up. I got to keep what I liked and enjoyed and what I was good at while at the same time, leaving behind the things I didn't. Yeah. I think what's really important, what you said is so many times we feel controlled by circumstances and people around us and we feel powerless. And what you do when you work with people is you show them they have choice and you empower them to choose the life that they want to have that they find fulfilling, that meets their needs, and and that they aren't really, they're not stuck where they are. They don't have to be there. There are many, many other places that they can, you know, choose to be. And that's really a good, that's really a good lesson. Yeah, definitely. It it can be very empowering, which was the case for me as I started learning those tools. And any other suggestions you have for, um, the overwhelmed lawyer who who might be one to become your client. Any other suggestions is, uh, I mean, I think it all starts with awareness. One of the tools that we are taught during the certification process is a thought download, which 
before I understood what it really was, I thought it was just journaling. You know, we hear about how great journaling is for you, but a thought download is a step even before journaling. You, you don't have to have complete sentences or concepts. It's really just a thought dump. And once you've put it down on paper, you have the opportunity to observe it as something outside of you, mm-hmm. other that rather than something that's swimming around in your head that you can't untangle like a knotted necklace and have the opportunity to identify the thoughts that you are actually thinking and finding out what the source is and whether it's serving you and whether you're seeing a common theme. Um, that's been a really useful skill and tool. Yeah, that I've learned. I love that. I think um, we could get to be so busy that we're just grinding away and working and moving from one project to the next that we're not really self-aware of what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? And, and what, what can I do about it if, if I want to? And that it all begins with being aware of how we're feeling and why, and often we aren't. Th- those are some great messages. Um, to Laura, I call this the Free Lawyer Podcast because to me, it's all about creating personal freedom and how we can, how you and I can help others do that in their life. What does true personal freedom mean to you? It's a term that has evolved because when I was a child growing up, freedom meant not living in a country that was being bombed because I lived in Lebanon. And so we came to America, the land of the free. So originally that was my thought of personal freedom. Um, Currently, when I think of personal freedom, it's the having the choice and the ability to do what I want when I want and help others when I want and however that I can. Um, I like being able to, especially as it comes to time, my, my job allows for a lot of flexibility as general counsel. So I enjoy and very much appreciate the freedom to be able to have conversations like this with you and take a phone call with somebody who needs a referral or someone who's having a hard day and wants some guidance. Um, So I think it comes down to that freedom of time. That's great. That's great. And it's wonderful that you've been able to find that balance with children and dog and, and so forth to to live your life how you want and to find that personal freedom in your life. Talar, as we start to wrap up, uh, for those who are really fascinated by you and your message and your journey, how can they best get in touch with you? You can find me pretty much every day on LinkedIn. Um, and I also have a website, Talar, T-A-L-A-R-E-S-Q.com. And i um, Please connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know how I can support you. If there's any introductions that I can make, I will often get um, direct messages inquiring about, you know, how did I get in house and what do I like? What don't I like? Uh, Some people aren't comfortable asking those questions on a post, but they'll send me the private messages. I'm happy to give you advice. I get people asking me about publishing a children's book. 
talked to plenty of them too. Very nice. Uh, but just know that the direct messages box gets pretty full. So if you don't hear back from me, send another message or send me an email through my website. Well, Talara, that's fantastic. I love your story and, and everything you had to share today. Um, I thank you for joining me today. I'm really happy to have had you as our guest. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, Gary. Well, for all of you listening, as always, thanks for joining us. And please be well, be safe, and be free. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Free Lawyer Podcast. Wherever you are listening, if you enjoyed what I shared, please leave me a rating and review. I would appreciate hearing more about what you like best and what topics you might like me to cover in future episodes. If you are interested in experiencing a more fulfilling and a more successful life, please contact me at www garymiles.net where you can schedule a free discovery call with me so I can learn more about you, your challenges, and your dreams. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a great rest of your day. Thanks to all of you for your support.